Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. All right, grab your Bibles and meet me in Acts chapter 2. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1092 in that Bible. Acts chapter 2. And we have been in a series for the last couple of months that we've called Ecclesia, uh, lessons from the book of Acts. Ecclesia is a Greek word, and it means church. It gets translated typically as church. Other ways it gets translated are gathering or assembly or community. And so we've wanted to take that kind of community approach to the book of Acts, is that the book of Acts is the beginning of the church. It is the birth of the ecclesia. It is the place where the church first starts and the community of God begins to get built. And 2,000 years later, we want to be able to learn about what is it to be that community that God intended the church to be. And one of the ways we can learn about that is by learning about the church in its earliest forms, as it was taught by the people who walked with Jesus, who were with him face to face, who saw him alive, and who started this movement by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we're trying to learn more about what it is to be a community of faith here in the 21st century as we look to this ancient story 2,000 years ago and learn about what they did there. So we're going to stick a pin in this series. It's not over yet. We're only two chapters in. But we wanted to do a series where we walk through a book of the Bible verse by verse. And so we're going to just stick a pin in it. We will pick up on it again, uh, just praying through the timing of what it's all going to look like. But if you enjoy uh, this sort of verse-by-verse walk through just books of the Bible, we do have a daily devotional podcast that we have created that just goes through books of the Bible. And so we can point you to that as well. Thus far, we have gone through the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation, the book of Acts, the book of Romans, and we're just going to finish up the book of Matthew in the next couple of months. And so uh, there's lots of that there online as well, if you prefer going in this particular style. So as we get ready to move on to other things this summer, we will be wrapping this up today just as we wrap up Acts chapter 2. So a couple weeks ago uh, was a PA day. It was a Friday PA day, and my kids were off. Friday's my day off, uh, my Sabbath day from the church. And so we went down to Point Pelee for the day because there's been like four nice days this whole year, and that was one of them. And so the sun was out, and the, water, the weather was warm. Uh, we were not yet in humid country yet, which I always appreciate, and so we thought we'd go down to the point. And so that's us sitting on the tram. We're about to head down uh, to the actual point. There is an actual point this year, by the way. There actually is a sandbar for the first time in a while heading out. And so that's us heading down, and it was just a beautiful day, and I'm mostly cropped out of the picture, and that's usually where I look my best. And so we focus on the beautiful woman and the two cute kids, and everyone's in a great mood. And this is just kind of a snapshot of us getting ready to start the day, and I wanted to keep it because it was a good day, and I wanted to remember that. And so the snapshot shows you that the sun was out, the day was nice, the sun, or the snapshot shows you that we were all together as a family and doing something as a family. The snapshot shows you that everybody's in a good mood and everybody's happy. The moods would not stay that way necessarily for the whole rest of the day. Um, I got super whiny as the day went on. But it's just a, a quick picture that points to a bit of a bigger picture. And so it doesn't tell you in the snapshot the details of the day, uh, you know, what the sun felt like and, and what the point looked like and what the water felt like on our toes. It doesn't talk about the laughs that we had or the conversation that we shared. That's not what a snapshot does. But what a snapshot does do is just give you a, a decent picture, a decent, a decent freezing in time of what something was like. And as we look at these verses today that we're going to look at, it really is kind of a snapshot 
of what was church like right away when it first started. And there's a lot more detail that can be added to it, and books and books have been written, and the rest of the book of Acts will explain things and unpack things in much more detail. But if you were to ask the question, well, what were they doing in the early church? What did the early church look like? Today's verses are a good snapshot. They give us a good picture, in general, of what was going on back then. Just by way of recap, as we started in Acts 1, verse 1, uh, Jesus has risen from the dead. He meets with his apostles for a little bit longer, 40 more days, giving them his final instructions. One of the things he says to them is, don't go anywhere, don't try anything until the Holy Spirit comes. When the Holy Spirit is poured out, then you will have the power and favor of God on your side. And when you have the power and favor of God on your side, then you can go and spread this gospel. Then you can go and be witnesses, but don't go anywhere. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. The day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out. And there's a, a vision of tongues of fire, and there's a sound of a mighty rushing wind. And the apostles and disciples are all filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that happens that had not been seen before is they begin to speak in other tongues. They are speaking in other languages that they don't know by themselves. And as the Holy Spirit sort of bubbles up out of them, these words come that they don't understand. And as that happens, a crowd begins to gather. A crowd begins to gather around saying, what is this thing? What is this phenomenon going on? We have not heard these local guys speak these languages before. What is happening? And what we've looked at the last few weeks as we've moved through Acts chapter 2 is the Apostle Peter getting up and explaining what has been going on. And he's giving really the first sermon of this new ecclesia, the first sermon of the brand new church, the brand new gathering that is dedicated to this gospel. And so Peter gets up and he explains this is the Holy Spirit being poured out. It's been promised because God is good and God always keeps his promises. And the promises are being fulfilled because Jesus is alive. We sang it this morning. Jesus is alive and he saves. And that is the message of the gospel. And because Jesus is alive and because he saves what we looked at last week, our response to that is to repent, is to turn, is to stop going in the direction of our sin, to stop going in the direction of our selfishness, but to realign our lives towards Jesus and to following after him, to acknowledging him as Lord, to trusting him and following in his ways. And as we turn our lives and align ourselves with his, we are saved. We should be baptized as a sign of that. And that's where we ended last week. So this is the end of Acts chapter 2 we're going to read today. And it's just kind of the next step. After Peter's done his sermon, after the day of Pentecost is over, what is next? And it's a snapshot of what church life was like in the earliest days. So let's take a look. We're in Acts 2, starting in verse 4. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So again, that's a 
pretty good snapshot, right? If you knew nothing about what the early church was like, if you knew nothing about their activities or what they were up to, then we could say, well, the church began on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was poured out. And what did it look like back then? These few verses are a pretty good snapshot. Not the whole story, but enough to give us a sense of what was important to the early church. And as we talk about being that ecclesia ourselves, being the church, uh, this is the model, this is the example of church that we have. When we want to live our lives out in a good and godly way, we look to the example of Jesus that we find in Scripture. When we want to know, well, what is church supposed to look like, we look at the example of the book of Acts. That's what's given to us to tell us what church is like. So we're just going to walk through this and just touch quickly on each one. What were the different activities and things about the early church? And what can we do? What do we need to do to be more like that? So first of all, starting in verse 42, it says, the people of God devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That there was teaching time from from the very beginning, and that's not maybe shocking to you because this is teaching time right now. We're engaging in the same thing. I'm not an apostle. But we are engaging in teaching, and it has always been that way from the beginning, that they understood that there was a time to gather together and, and join together and open up the Word of God and learn together. And it's not that we can't learn on our own. We can and should learn on our own. And we live in this fascinating, amazing time right now where there's just a world of resources available to us online. Uh, when I was in Africa visiting them uh, a number of years ago, and we asked just, what can we do for you guys? How can we help? How can we support the churches here? One of the things they said is, well, we have our Bibles, uh, but we don't have anything else because there's no internet here where we are. We don't have any books to read. And I'm just thinking, man, I could open my phone right now and go on Amazon and find any book I want in the world. Someone in the world has the book that I want and it will come to me, and they just didn't have that option there. Like, we're, we're living in this ridiculous time where between podcasts and blogs and YouTube and everything, whatever you want to learn about, you can learn about from world-class teachers. It's incredible. It's incredible. There's been nothing like this in the history of the church, the amount of teaching we have available to us. And so on our own, if we say, hey, well, hey, I need to learn more about uh, giving, or I need to learn more about spiritual warfare, or I need to learn more about spiritual gifts, or I need to learn more about the Old Testament, there is a world of resources available that you can dig into, and you should. That is important. But from the very beginning, it was also important that there was a gathering together and a learning together. And there is something powerful about the gathering, where we all open our Bibles together, and we read one passage together, and we are, are taught together, and we're learning together, and we're doing it as a community. Because then it's not just a soloist doing their own thing with the Lord, but we are doing that together. When we come together to worship, we can worship on our own at our homes, and it's the same sort of thing. I can pick the playlist of only songs that I like only by the artists that I like. And if I only like country music, I can do country worship. That, would, that sounds awful as I say that out loud. <laughs> but if that's what I wanted, that's what I could do. If I only want the old hymns, I could find only old hymns. If I only like new stuff, I can only do that. If I only like four songs, period, I can have them on repeat 24 hours a day. And yet, as important as that is, and connection time with God is important on our own because we're only here a little bit each week, there is something in the gathering together, singing one song, right? One of the songs we sang this morning, with one voice, right? With one voice. 
where it's not just about us and God, it's about us and God and these relationships as well as brothers and sisters. And when you guys hear me singing and declaring Jesus as Lord, I'm also hearing you singing and declaring Jesus as Lord. And our faith is mutually built together as we worship him with one voice. And it's the same with the teaching part as well, that we sit under the teaching of the word together, whoever is teaching, and we are learning the same thing together, and there's a unifying that happens. And then you can go to the cafe afterwards, and you can talk about the scripture together, because we've all just been under the same scripture. And so from the beginning, they understood, yeah, we're not just going to send everybody off on their own to read their Bibles, that there's a gathering together, and we're going to sit under the teaching of the apostles. They're going to open up the word of God to us, because we believe that all scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That ultimately everything we need is in here. And that this is breathed and inspired by God through prophets and through apostles who wrote it down. And it is there to feed us. It is there to guide us. It is everything we need for life and godliness and salvation. Everything we need to know is here. And everything we do in life should be measured against this here. And there is a crucial part of our lives where we gather together to dig into that God-breathed scripture together. It can happen lots of different ways, but we need to engage in teaching together. They also devoted themselves to fellowship. The fellowship's a word we almost always exclusively use in church circles, but it's just the, the connection, the community, the hanging out. They devoted themselves to being there together. Again, they're not doing this all entirely on themselves. And the beauty of the ecclesia of the church is that whether you are male or female, or whether you are old or young, or whether you're educated or uneducated, or whether you're rich or you're poor, or whatever ethnicity you are, whatever background you come from, that we unite in this unique community that gathers around this one declaration of faith that Jesus Christ is Lord. And whoever you are, the same salvation is offered to you. And once you receive it, you sit under the teaching of the same Bible, and you are given the same Holy Spirit. The same Savior has come to all of us who are a part of this church. And so there is this great sort of equalizing, unifying thing that where so much of the world, so much of society is isolated and divided by, by race or by class or by gender or whatever, the church becomes a place where all of that gets torn down. And as we come into fellowship together, we are actually setting the model of the God who created everything and intended the world to all be together, who God who was not a God of division when the world was created perfectly, that in spite of the, the division that sin would cause everywhere, we become a place where we actually tear that down. And we model the unity that God originally wanted for this world, where we love each other, even loving our enemies, as we're united around the cross of Jesus, as we drink from the one Holy Spirit, and as we understand that we actually need other people to help us in the spiritual journey. Again, there's no solo running in this one. This is something we do together, because every single one of us needs encouragement sometimes. Every single one of us needs correction sometimes. Every single one of us needs support sometimes. And so part of being a part of the ecclesia, of the gathering, of the community, is that when I stumble, I need others to come and pick me up. And when there's a tragedy, we need people to run and and meet that need in the tragedy. And when someone is just kind of feeling discouraged, people need to come alongside and lift them up. If somebody is wandering off track, there needs to be those who gently guide them back. But we can't do that by ourselves. I used to make a joke. My wife always hated it. I would say, I never knew how many faults I had till I got married. And I don't mean that the way it initially sounds. 
Not that Sarah is a fault finder or overly critical because she's not at all. But what I mean by that is before I got married, I lived by myself for a lot of years. It just was my preference. And so when I was a bachelor, I lived on my own for seven or eight years. And then I met Sarah, we fell in love, we got married, we moved in together. And then all of a sudden, there's another person there all the time. And after seven, eight years of just kind of doing my own thing and spending my money how I want to spend it and watching the t movie that I want to watch and eating what I want to eat, now all of a sudden there's another person there. And so it's not that Sarah was pointing anything out in me all the time. It's just that by being in community with somebody else, I realized how selfish I really was. And it wasn't purposeful. It was just I was always used to doing my own thing. And then you're in community, and then you start having kids. And man alive, do you sacrifice a lot when, that, when those creatures show up? <laughs> and all of these things, I mean, they do confront us in our selfishness. Being in a church confronts us in our selfishness. Because it's easy to sit there and go, ah, oh, I don't like this song. I don't like the way they do it. And the response is, it's not for you. Right? It's for him, and even if I don't like, I don't like all the songs. Nobody likes all the songs. We all have preferences. I love what our worship team does almost entirely, and I love their hearts all the time. But if I don't like a song, it's the understanding of, I don't like this particular song, but somebody else in the room does, and they're connecting with Jesus through it, and it's not about me. Right? Being in community confronts us with our selfishness because being in community, by definition, requires us to lay down something of ourselves. Just like marriage, just like parenting, just like friendship, it's not all about us. And so that is part of it. If we are going to be humble and walk in the way of Jesus, we need that humility uh, of being in community so that we can be shaped by one another, we can encourage one another, we can support one another, we can stand with one another. We need that help. And the early church understood that if we're going to follow after Jesus, we need to do it as a group. This is not something we do by ourselves. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, continuing on in verse 42. There's lots of uh, artwork in the uh, early days depicting the early church, and if there's, uh, you know, different frescoes and pottery that gets painted and different things, often the early Christians are eating together in these pictures, including in this one here. There was a, a sharing of the meal that was common, and part of that is Middle Eastern hospitality. It was just expected that if I came by your house, you were supposed to have a meal. One of the things my wife did, uh, just had in her heart to uh, get involved in the community a bit more, so she went to SECC next door and said, where do you need help? And one of the things they said was, well, we have a lot of uh, Syrian refugees who've come out of the war, and they've settled in the area, and you know, we're helping them with the practical stuff of learning the language and getting a job, but they just they kind of need friends, and they need people they can practice English with. And so Sarah said, well, I'll do that. And so they connected her with a young mom who had young kids, and so they were kind of in the same uh, stage of life. And so Sarah would go over, you know, thinking I'm going to go for an hour to have a visit, and she'd walk into like a five-course meal, and she's like, it's amazing. It's incredible. And that was just sort of the expectation. And then when she invited Asma and her kids over to our house, it was like, oh, man, what are we going to do? Like, there was a pressure. Like, you got to... And so there's something just in Middle Eastern hospitality of just, yeah, you share a meal together. Like, it's important. There's something in the breaking of bread. Today is Father's Day. Whatever plans you have later on, I would venture they are food-related in some way. That we understand that when family gets together, you eat. 
And when you're celebrating something, you eat. And on important days, you eat, right? We don't say we're getting together for Christmas hangouts. You say you're getting together for Christmas dinner, Thanksgiving dinner, Easter dinner, birthday dinner, right? There's food involved. There's cake involved. There's celebration involved. Sarah finishes school. Well, what are we going to We've got to eat something. There's got to be a treat in there somehow. And so as we, we, we know that, sort of instinctually, we know that. And it, it's a good thing to do. You know, you're going out on a date with someone for the first time. You go out for dinner, right? Like there's, there's a breaking of bread that does foster community. It does foster intimacy. There is something about it. When family gets together, they eat. And so when the early church starts, they saw themselves as family. This is not just a weekly thing we pop into from time to time. We are to love one another, as Jesus calls us to love. When family gets together, we eat. So when the early church got together, one of the things they did was eat. They would break bread together. They would share that. And it became a place where, especially for those who maybe didn't have a lot of money, they could be welcomed into houses where they could be fed and they could be taken care of. And the language of breaking of bread in the New Testament as well is often used of communion, right? Where we, we take the bread, we take the cup, we remember the body that was broken, we remember the blood that was shed for us. We remember the new covenant that was bought by what Jesus did at the cross. And so as they would gather together for meals, it seems from the New Testament that they would get together for just their normal dinner, and as part of dinner, they would celebrate communion. It was a constant thing that they did. We usually do it once a month here, as most churches do, but it was something just much more regular, and it was just important to them that as we share a meal together, and as we pray together, and as we spend time together, we're also going to remember Jesus together. Again, no one's celebrating communion at home by themselves. They're doing it in community, because Jesus didn't just die for me, he died for us. And we celebrate that. The word communion literally means the communal union. That the community has been unionized, united with Jesus. And at the communion table, we celebrate the communal union of all of us with Jesus. And that was important for them to remember as well. They devoted themselves to prayer. That's the end of verse 42. And again, as a bit of a theme of the service today, praying on our own is crucial. Praying on our own is important. But the praying together is also crucially important, that all of us need a little help sometimes. All of us need to be able to go to somebody and say, can you pray for me about this? And sometimes we don't like to do that because we're worried about being vulnerable or we're worried about what people will think. But there is such a grace that comes. Because Scripture says God opposes the proud but he gives his grace to the humble. And I honestly believe sometimes the reason our prayers aren't being answered is because we are too proud to acknowledge that we need help overcoming this sin or to acknowledge that we're worried about something that we don't know if people will like that we're worried about it or whatever it is that we're struggling with. We don't want to let people into our struggle. You don't have to tell the world. But God opposes pride, but he gives his grace to the humble. And if we can humble ourselves enough to go to someone that we trust and say, I, I need some help. Sometimes that's when the grace that we've been praying for gets released. Sometimes that's when the answer comes, when we can humble ourselves. And so they're not just praying by themselves. They are gathering together and they are praying together. 
Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. This, thus far in the book of Acts, we've only seen the tongues, the gift of tongues happen. Uh, if we keep going through Acts, there are healings, there are resurrections, there are all kinds of stuff. And this is apparently just kind of normal in the book of Acts. It's not like it was a rare thing. Uh, everyone was filled with awe that all of these things are happening. And, I mean, if the apostles were here, they would probably be saying, well, it wasn't us who performed them. Just to be clear, we don't have special powers. But as the Holy Spirit came, he was the one. And so the book of Acts is often called the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, very easily, and maybe more appropriately, could be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Right? The third person of the Trinity, God's power here on earth. He is the one doing all of it. The apostles have nothing special in themselves. The Holy Spirit in them is healing the sick, is raising the dead, is proclaiming the gospel. And all that they did, their main contribution, was they said, we will go. They, they were willing to be instruments in the hands of God. They were willing to be used by him. They were willing to take a chance. They were willing to open their mouths. They were willing to do that. The Holy Spirit did all the real work. And so our job is to continually seek the moving of the Spirit because it's only the Holy Spirit that can heal a body. It's only the Holy Spirit who can convict of sin. It's only the Holy Spirit who can open up someone's eyes to Jesus. It's only the Holy Spirit who does these things. And so the Holy Spirit needs to do what only he can do, and we need to do what we can do, which is make ourselves available, seek the filling of the Holy Spirit, and then be obedient to what he leads us to do. And if we're not doing that, then we shouldn't be surprised if we don't see much of the book of Acts activity happening in our lives. Because the book of Acts apostles and disciples and people who came to Jesus spent their life seeking after the Holy Spirit, praying, fill us, Holy Spirit, obeying when that little nudge came to go and do something as led by the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit does what only he can do. Uh, the question for us is, well, what are we missing then? If we're not seeing the book of Acts experience happening in our lives, what are we missing and what might we need to do? What does seeking the Spirit look like in our own lives? Verse 44 and 45, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They were together. There's like a communal pot, right? They, they just shared everything equally in the early church. What does that sound an awful lot like? It's the same basic idea other than communism was man's way of trying to, to solve the poverty problem. It was famously anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-Jesus, anti-Christian. But communism demanded, right, you will all put everything in a common pot. And it was famously oppressive, and it didn't work at all. It was tried many different ways all over the world in the 20th century, and it just always seemed to lead to corruption and oppression and, and brutality and murders and, and all sorts of terribleness. But what they were talking about was, we don't need God, we will create a society where everyone's needs are met. It's, it's what man did with it when they were trying to actually do a good and biblical idea, which was take care of everybody. And because they took God out of it, and because man is evil and sinful, it got twisted and it got horrible. But the idea behind it shows up here in Acts chapter 2. The difference being that in Acts chapter 2, it's not a human government saying you must, but it's out of what God is doing in people's hearts, out of, out of the, the moving of the Spirit, I'm sure. There is a rich generosity that bubbles up. 
If you can imagine being at a point where um, people, you know, were literally selling property in order to help a need, like if we said, hey, someone over here is in financial trouble, and you say, okay, I'm just going to go sell my car real quick, and I'm going to give that money to that person. I'm going to go sell that cottage. You know, I've got my house. I don't need the cottage. I'll sell it in order to meet the needs of somebody who's here. Uh, that's a ridiculous level of generosity. Like, that's a level of sacrificial generosity that certainly I'm not at, and I don't imagine any of us are. But it was apparently part of the mark of the early church, is that they shared things together, that there wasn't any need among them. And it goes so counter to our Western, you know, North American, you're on your own, everyone's a self-made person, and, and it's like, well, they, they had something different here where there was a need. And I have read through uh, in my studies that, um, you know, there are secular atheist historians writing about the early church. So they're not believers at all. They don't have a, a Christian perspective on this. But I remember reading one when I was in Bible college, and he's just talking about, oh, these ridiculous Christians. So, like, that's how it starts. So he's not on our side in this, just to be clear. Those ridiculous Christians, like, they worship a dead man. Like, they're crazy people. And yet, he writes, like, when one of them gets the plague and everybody's running away to avoid that house— the Christians actually go into that house, and they minister to that person. And, and I've seen it. When someone is in need, like, they'll sell part of their fields, and they'll take the money, and they'll give it to a brother or sister in need. Like, this is an atheist, you know, anti-Christian, just secular historian who's saying, I don't agree with these guys at all, but man alive, are they generous. It was part of the mark of the church that we would support one another, and that where there is need, we would all pool together and meet that need. Uh, we had someone in the first service actually call out in the sermon and said, it's like the end of It's a Wonderful Life, when the whole town gets together and George Bailey's in need. And it's like, well, that is exactly what it's like. Yes, that is exactly this picture, that where there's a need, we have a duty to each other as brothers and sisters to do something, to help. Uh, and if we're not at the point yet where we're saying, well, I'm going to sell my property to help, just ponder that for a while. Meditate on that. Pray into that. Because that was a mark of the early church, and that's a, a challenging one, to be sure. Moving on. We're just about done. Verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Every day they were hanging out for church, guys. Every day. We're not doing that. I don't want to do that myself. <laughs> but every day— they were gathering publicly in the temple courts. They can worship publicly at this point. They're not going to be able to do that forever. Persecution's about to break out. But every day, they are meeting together in the temple courts for teaching, for prayer, to, to build each other up. Uh, and again, just that public gathering. There are things that we can do in our public gatherings that we can't do one-on-one. -on -one. The one-on-one -on -one with Jesus is crucially important. But there's something we can do here. There's something that happens in the Spirit here. There's something in mutual learning, mutual edification, uh, the moving of the Spirit, the sharing of the gifts. There are things that we can only do when we gather together. So the early church was very committed to the public gatherings, obviously, even coming every day. Uh, beyond that, though, verse 46 and 47, it says, They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So again, there's the sharing of the meal, but the understanding that it's not just about the public gathering. It's not just about Sunday mornings. Because as we sit here on a Sunday mornings, it's, it's good to be here together. It's good to worship together. It's good to learn together. It's good to laugh together. It's good to pray together. And yet at the same time, this dynamic right now is basically about you guys and me. 
right? There's not a lot of dialogue happening on a Sunday morning. There's not a lot of, of going deeper relationally. And the, the lobby is good for that to get started. The cafe is a great place to chat with people. But this, you know, we used to say, you don't get to know people really well sitting in a pew staring at the front. You get to know the back of the head of the person in front of you really well. Uh, but you don't get deeper than that, typically. And so there was a moving away, not just from the public worship, or just focusing on the public worship. They also moved into the home and said, you know what, we're going to share some meals together. We're going to hang out together in a, a different setting where we can get to know each other better. And, and praising God, I love just that there's joy here, right? With, with happy, with glad and sincere hearts. They are gathering together, and they are getting to know each other. The relationship, the community is getting deeper. Uh, the main way we do that here at Meadowbrook is through life groups, which are typically uh, once-a-week meetings, and it's for exactly that. It's for Sunday's a great place to mingle. It's not a great place necessarily to go really deep into relationships, to get to know people really well. We would love everybody to be in a life group, uh, and right now you can't at all because it's summer and they're all done. So I brought it up to tell you you can't be in them at the moment. But as the fall comes, you can be thinking about it over the summer, and we have a number of groups in different locations studying different topics, and it is just, it's the best possible way uh, to get to know people better and to learn together and to pray together. And, you know, when someone has a loved one who passes away, it's the life group that rallies there at the funeral home in our church. If someone goes into hospital, it's the life group that's there and visiting. If someone's going through a tough time, it's the life group that's there praying and texting encouragement. Like, it's just such a beautiful way to, to do life together. And that's why we call them life groups. So be thinking about that over the summer as we pray together. So as all of this is happening, as we come to the end of the passage— Verse 47 says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You notice who is doing the adding? It's not a super slick evangelist. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So there is obviously a sharing about Jesus, and there is a receiving of Jesus as the Holy Spirit uh, does his work. And as people come into the church in that way, the Holy Spirit is doing it. And so as all of it is going on, uh, there is teaching happening, the focus on the Word of God in the early church. There is fellowship happening, connection and community. They are sharing meals together. They are sharing communion together. They are praying together. As that's happening, the Holy Spirit is moving in powerful ways. As that's happening, rich generosity is rising up, and people are sharing with one another in sacrificial ways. Public gatherings are happening. Private gatherings are happening. And harvest is coming in. That is the end result. As all of these other things are happening, people are coming to Jesus. And so as we get ready to close, worship team, you can come on up, to look at that list and say— Okay, as Meadowbrook Church, you know, where are we at? As life groups, where are we at? Uh, but most importantly for today, because you're going to go away and think about this this week, it's just as an individual, where am I at at the things on this list in terms of how I am connecting with others in community? And I think all of us will probably have a few things that we're doing well at, and all of us probably have some stuff that we can uh, be working on. And so uh, as we come back to that. If you have any questions about the message today, if you have any questions about the series thus far, we do have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca. We'd be happy to keep the conversation going with you. Grab a coffee or, or even just back and forth by email. We'd love to keep chatting about this stuff. But as we look at that list, and just seriously take a look at it with me for a second. So maybe we're saying, you know what, I'm, I'm doing pretty good at the teaching part. I'm in my Bible every day. I'm, I'm learning with 
other people even, but maybe I need to work on the fellowship part. Maybe I need to work on connecting with other people and not just doing it all by myself. Or maybe I'm good at the, the prayer part and I, I'm growing in that regularly, but, uh, but the generosity piece isn't something I'm overly walking in. Maybe I'm doing well at the public gatherings. I'm here every Sunday or most Sundays, uh, but I'm not in any way connecting beyond that. I'm just here and then I'm gone. Maybe it's the reverse. Maybe I'm doing okay at the smaller stuff or the one-on-one -on -one stuff, but I'm just not here for public worship that often. Um, we all have areas that we need to work on. We all have areas, hopefully, that we're, we're seeing some growth in. But to look at that and not be overwhelmed by it, because there's a lot of stuff there for sure, but to say, okay, Holy Spirit, what, which one are you highlighting for me today? Which one of that list do I need to be giving some intentional time to, uh, praying into it maybe for a bit over the summer, jumping into something new in the fall, but where do I need to go from here in order to engage in the type of community life that the early church walked in, that we are called to? We can be that ecclesia, the community, the gathering, the assembly of God, and live in the type of life that they are. Because honestly, when I look at that list, I go, it all requires something of us. Uh, nothing is that hard. Nothing is that difficult. And I just have to believe, because it's the Word of God, that when, when we are teaching as we should, when we're in community and in unity as we should be, uh, when we're sharing life together, when we're praying together, there will be Holy Ghost power that comes. And we'll be moved to generosity. And we'll be gathering here on Sundays, but there will be other times where we're encouraging one another and supporting each other as we live life together. As all of these things happen, I think harvest will happen because this is what the early church knew was important as the apostles taught it. So where do we go from here? We will leave that with you to pray into, to mull over and say, not just which one of these things is jumping out at me today, but what's a step that I can take from here? What's a step that I can take in obedience to, in order to take a step towards fulfilling what the Lord is calling us to as a church? Let's pray together. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet and then we will worship and then we'll close off. Father, thank you for the goodness and for the challenge of your word and for everything on this list, Lord, such good things, all of them do cost us something. And so, Lord, we don't want to be overwhelmed by this or fearful or anxious, but we pray in Jesus' name, Lord, just highlight one for us today. And as you highlight one, show us, Lord, as well, what's the next step now from here in order to walk in a deeper community with the ecclesia here at Meadowbrook Church, with the life that we live together as followers of Jesus. Just make that clear to us in the days to come as we pray and meditate and talk about these things. Lead us in the way we should go in Jesus' name. Amen.